The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. And if you want to put your finger on verse 12, that's where we'll be. Uh, So we are continuing tonight in our series called Holy Reflections. We've been talking about God's design for singleness, sex, and relationships. And so this will be week eight. We're continuing tonight, but we're also finishing tonight. This will be the last sermon in the series. I want to thank all of you that have uh, made the extra effort to be here throughout the series. I've had conversations with a lot of you. I know that there's been some really groundbreaking um, moments for a lot of you that the Holy Spirit has used this series to help marriages, help relationships, help situations. And so I'm just thankful that God's word is true and it makes a difference. So um, appreciate all of that. Uh, so we're going to continue tonight in that same vein, finish out this sermon series, and uh, I'm thankful to God for that. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I told you we'd start in verse 12. We're going to read to verse 20 together, okay? Let's do it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. I'm glad about that right there. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? It's going to be important later. For he says, God, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That last verse kind of encapsulates the entirety of what we've talked about throughout this series. There's a lot of things you can say regarding these subjects, but ultimately, when we've drilled it all down and boiled it all down, what we're pointing to is the fact that we are called to glorify God in all that we do and in everything. And so that's no different when it comes to being single, when it comes to being in a relationship, pursuing the possibility of marriage, being in a marriage, when it comes to issues of sexuality. We were made for relationship with God and to bring glory to his name. And so ultimately, when we run all of what we do in regards to these things through that grid, it changes even the questions that we ask. It's a really... A powerful perspective shift, okay? Uh, It may surprise some to hear that the Bible has timeless and better truths than the magazine rack at the grocery store checkout line. You guys ever spend time at the grocery store? Who's been to the grocery store in the last 10 years? Those magazines, man, I'm telling you, they're outrageous, and they all always say the same thing. It just changes the pictures a little bit. But And this is what really blows my mind. Whether it's gardening, cooking, tabloids, or fitness magazines, there seems to be one subject you can always find advice about, and that subject is how to have good sex. Now, I don't know why Martha Stewart is, you know, making franks and beans, and then the next article is talking about, you know, all this other type of stuff. How does that all go together? I don't really understand marketing, I guess, but um, it's unbelievable. And if, if there's 12 magazines there, man, 10 of them have a way to tell you how to, you know, improve your sex life. It's unbelievable. So, 
Uh, the magazines and articles often focus on tips and tricks, each promising to unlock the secret to the best sex ever experienced in human history. Month after month, they got the same stuff. Um, I don't know much about the specifics of their advice, just what the covers promise, um, because you know when you're locked in at the grocery store, those magazines are colorful, and you're standing there with nothing to do, so you read the headlines, right? Uh, but no matter what the specifics are, I am positive that, that no matter how tantalizing their techniques, without God's timeless truth and wisdom included, good sex is impossible. And that's kind of what we're going to explore tonight. So the reason that's true is because God is the designer and giver of the gift of sex. And to disregard his good design and intentions for it takes it from a blessing to a curse, from a good thing to a destructive thing, which is tragic. In this way, uh, buckle your seatbelt, sex is like a microwave, okay? I warned you. A microwave can be a great thing, right? It can cook your food, it can warm up your leftovers, it can heat up water for a nice cup of tea, a lot of things a microwave can do, and it can be a cool tool. But if you disregard the warnings that come with it, and you leave a bunch of aluminum foil wrapped around your leftovers, or you warm that uh, water up for your tea in your favorite metal mug, that microwave can blow up and cause a bunch of destruction. Okay, so that can be a good thing. Now, I realize that my, my goal is, you know, to always say something you've never heard. And I know nobody's ever compared sex to a microwave, and I'm just saying that's mine, and I'm <laughs> copywriting it. So there you go. Dig and dig and dig. I bet you won't find that anywhere else. It's true, though, isn't it? A microwave can be great. Or it can blow your face off if you don't use it right. That's kind of what I'm saying. And sex is like that. It can be great. It can mess your life up. It can cause a lot of damage. Okay? Amen. Let's approach God's perfect word together and humbly receive his loving instructions. And let's find out what good sex really is from his perspective. So first of all, premise number one, good sex is a gift from God. This is something we have to understand. Good sex is a gift from God. As with most things, there are big, wide ditches to fall into uh, on either side of this subject. Um, both humanity broadly and the church in particular have overcorrected and ended up in these ditches. Um, so some have treated sex like it is God, and some have treated sex like it is gross, and neither of these positions lines up with a biblical view of the subject. Sex is not God, and it is not gross. It is a wedding gift from God to his children. That's the way the Bible sees it. Now, what do I mean when I say that people treat sex as God? That might sound like an overstatement or whatever. Uh, Romans 125 is among perhaps the most alarming verses in all the scriptures as it describes the passive wrath of God. And what that means is when people rebel and they disregard his loving laws continually, uh, they will eventually be turned over to their depravity and lusts. Uh, Romans 125 says that we as humans have a tendency, get this, to exchange the truth for the lie and to worship created things instead of the creator. So much of the problem comes down to this right here. I think it's really interesting that, that Romans 125 doesn't say that we as humans, we tend to believe a lie. It says we believe the lie and end up worshiping created things instead of the creator. It's a problem. Many of us may never have thought of sex as a worship issue. However, that is how God sees it. Whatever we give our time, talent, and treasure to, whatever inhabits our thoughts most frequently, these are the things we worship. 
And the truth is, everyone worships. Even atheists, for example, they tend to worship intellect and what they claim is empirical scientific data. Even the, even the atheist worships. So the question is not if we worship, but what or who we worship. And for many people, sex is an idol, and it is sought after as such. That is an overcorrection. That's one of the ditches you can get into, okay? So what about sex is gross? Where does that, where does that come from? Here's the other ditch, right? Here's the other way to overcorrect and misunderstand the subject. So on the other end of the spectrum, there have been many people throughout history, and in particular church history, who have viewed sex and sexuality as only bad or evil, uh, this does not line up with the biblical view either, right? So you can have people overemphasizing it and making it as a god, worshiping it, chasing after it above all else. You can have people that treat it like it's totally evil, only dirty and bad. These are two extremes. These are the two ditches, okay? Um, slightly less extreme, but still out of balance, I think worth mentioning, because it's been prevalent a lot through church history, is the view that sex is only for procreation, uh, or in layman's terms, making babies, okay? So there's been people throughout church history that thought sex was only for the act of making children, okay? Um, that is less extreme than thinking all sex and everything, you know, essentially everything material and anything that has anything to do with the material earth is, is evil. That's one way far over correction. But even, even saying it's only for the making of children is, is too far because that does not jive with a holistic biblical view of sex and sexuality, uh, it is clear from many stories in the Old Testament, instruction in the New Testament, and essentially the whole book of the Song of Solomon, that uh, sex being pleasurable was not an accident uh, or an accidental byproduct of God's design. Okay, so, you know, God didn't place Adam and Eve in the garden, and then, you know, they get intimate for the first time, and God's standing over there going, I did not see that coming, right? Like, he knew what was going to happen. He made it that way, uh, and he's not surprised by it. it. It wasn't an accident. Sex is supposed to be pleasurable. It's part of why it's a gift from God. Um, I think one thing we need to understand is, is a tendency in, in our culture and something that we need to bring a biblical answer to and have a biblical framework to help us think through but also be able to engage others about is the fact that simultaneously, people tend to overemphasize and underemphasize sex at the same time. Okay, how does that work? The way it's overemphasized, I think, is more obvious um, <laughs> in our culture, right? You could look at a housekeeping magazine, and there it is, or write a billboard, whatever it else. You know, people believe that if, if you're not having sex, you're weird, there's something wrong with you, you're broken, there's no way you could have a full and fulfilling life without that. So sexuality is raised to this place of prominence. It's overemphasized. It's, it's too important. Yes, it's a good thing. Yes, it's a gift from God, but it's, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not even the highest experience of, of what a human can achieve, right? I mean, it's, and, and some people treat it that way, and so there's an over emphasis in marketing and in all these ways in our culture, but at the very same time, it's underemphasized because though it's put out there a whole lot and it's raised to this high level of importance in one way, at the same time, for many people, it's treated in, in a non-sacred way that underemphasizes the beauty of it, God's involvement in it, the fact that it was designed by God for a specific purpose. And so uh, it, can, it can be overemphasized and underemphasized all at the same time. And we need to actually just totally flip and invert those ideas. Because for us, as people that look at all of life's issues, including sex and sexuality, through the lens of the scriptures, what we see is 
is sex a part of God's plan, his redemptive plan in the earth for us to fill the earth and multiply? Is it a part of the good gift that comes inside of the package of covenant marriage? Yes, yes, yes. Is it the most important thing in the entire world? No, it's not. Is it important? Yeah, but not the most important thing. And somebody could have totally full, beautiful, wonderful life in God and a bunch of fulfilling relationships and not experience that part of the, of, you know, the, the overall human experience, and it would be okay. There's a lot of examples of that through Scripture. I would call your attention to King Jesus as one, right? Just comes, comes to mind off the top of the head. So there's that, right? So we, we need to be able to invert that and say, yeah, it's important, but it's not as important as you're making it. But also on the other side, where, where it's underemphasized by our culture, we need to say, this is not just a physical act. This is not the same as what's happening at the zoo when the animals are making zoo babies, okay? It's different for humans. And, 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 and that, that's why I said, um, when we, we're looking at this, it says, you know, or do you not know that the one who joins himself, this is verse 16, joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her, for he says the two shall become one flesh. Man, in, in Ephesians 5, we're going to get to this again in a minute, but the, the, the mystery of two becoming one is, is used by Paul to help us understand the beauty of what's happening between Christ and the church. And so there is deep emotional, spiritual elements to sex and sexuality. It's not just the physical act that it has been reduced to um, by much of our culture. And so um, essentially the way it's under, overemphasized by many people, we've got to tone that down. And the way it's underemphasized, we need to lift that up and say it is more important than just... Um, just that physical act. So God designed and gave us sex, but he gave it to us as a wedding gift. There are many reasons for this. Some are more obvious than others, but the premise is undeniable. Uh, Jesus spoke to this when he was being questioned about divorce in Mark 10, verse 6. This is what he said. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Paul describes that in Ephesians 5 as a mystery. This is deep, and this is real, and there's a lot more going on here um, than just warm bodies being next to each other. It's deeper than that. The language of one flesh is key. We see it in Genesis 2. We see it here in Mark 10 that I just read you. In 1 Corinthians uh, 6, where we were, we see it also in Ephesians 5 and a few other places. So this is not a one-off in the Bible. This language is used consistently from cover to cover. And so we understand that what that's talking about is a deep emotional and spiritual connection that is a part of the sexual experience. Um, and it is compared to the connection of Jesus Christ, our eternal groom, and his bride, the church. And so there's a lot going on here. Um, Paul uses the word mystery, thankfully, which lets us off the hook of like having to totally understand it because I don't think we can totally understand what all God's doing in there, but we do know it's, it's more than just physicality. It is important in that way, okay? So this leads us to our second truth, right? The first one is that good sex is a gift from God. The second one is this. Good sex is covenantal. Good sex is covenantal. Verse 16 um, verse 16 in the passage we read from 1 Corinthians, it asks this question, okay? Do you not know when you have sex with a prostitute, you are becoming one with her? Okay, that's, that's a big deal. What is that telling us? First of all, it's telling us that, that sex is not simply a physical act. Well, you're really beating that horse. Yeah, I know, 
but that horse is big and strong, and a lot of people ride it, okay? So I just want to make sure you understand. And I realize how dangerous, because of the subject matter, is saying anything about riding anything, is, and I saw the Snickers. I'm talking about a horse, and, and we're over here, okay? So it's going to happen. There's going to be unintentional puns in here. It, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. I will, too. We'll stop and laugh when they pop up, okay? It'll be good. Um, so what, what is the deal here? Why does he, he say you're becoming one with her, right, when you join yourself to a prostitute? Because sex is not simply a physical act. We have to at least be able to stand up and say, okay, that, we know that's true. And because it was designed by God to cause deep and beautiful connections between a husband and wife, it can only be a good thing inside of the safety of covenant marriage. Okay, I'm going to say it another way. There is no good sex outside of the covenant of marriage. Now, I'm not saying that nobody has ever had an erotic or temporary, temporarily thrilling experience having sex outside of marriage. But I, I'm standing on this premise, and I'm not moving from it. Nobody has ever had good sex outside of marriage. Nobody. Even if something feels amazing for a moment, if ultimately it causes pain and destruction, it is not good. As a way of example, and, and, and I'm not treating this as a trite thing, please trust me. I'm sure that those folks that were shooting up heroin laced with elephant tranquilizers recently thought that that was some good stuff. I'm sure the high was intense, probably more intense than anything they'd yet experienced. But when all is said and done, and the consequences are revealed, nobody at their funerals was calling it good. And even if they got Narcan back to life, as I know many of them did, only a fool opens their eyes, surrounded by paramedics who just had to restart their heart and call the evil substance that put them there good. I don't, I don't care how ecstasy-like the high was from the substance. It's, it wasn't a good situation. It wasn't a good thing. I know many, if not most people today, have a negative attitude towards the church and her teachings regarding these issues because we maintain that sex is more than just a physical experience and should be treated with sanctity. Many people would argue that the Bible is out of step with reality or archaic because it teaches that sex outside of covenant marriage causes pain and destruction. Some of you may even be battling similar thoughts right now, and I get that. Uh, many people, I know many people would say they have had sex outside of the benevolent boundaries set forth by God and they haven't experienced any tangible negative consequences. The fact that many do not perceive the damaging effects is not reason to doubt that they exist. Rather, it is a reason for grave concern and much prayer. I want to read you an excerpt from a news article. Ashlyn Blocker is among a tiny number of people in the world known to have congenital insens insensitivity to pain and anhydrosis, or CIPA. It's a rare genetic disorder that makes her unable to feel pain. Some people would say that's a good thing, but no, it's not, says Tara Blocker, Ashlyn's mother. Pain is there for a reason. It lets your body know something's wrong and it needs to be fixed. This is her mama. I'd give anything for her to feel pain. Many things they couldn't anticipate. Ashlyn's baby teeth posed a big problem. She would chew her lips bloody in her sleep. 
She would bite through her tongue while eating and once even stuck her finger in her mouth and stripped the flesh from it. Ashlyn has to have ice put into any hot food like soup or chili because it could be hot enough to scald her insides and she would gobble it down without hesitation. Family photos reveal a series of these self-inflicted injuries. One picture shows Ashlyn in her Christmas dress, her hair neatly done, with a swollen lip, missing teeth, puffy eye, and athletic tape wrapped around her hands to protect them. Infections with no outward symptoms also concerned them. They heard of a case where a child with CIPA had appendicitis that went untreated until her appendix burst. Couldn't feel the pain. This is her mama talking again. It's a lot to take in. It opens your eyes to things you wouldn't normally think about. If she sees blood, she knows to stop. There's only so much you can tell a five-year-old. Now, why did I read you that? Because here's the reality. The same situation she has with physical pain, you can get exactly that way spiritually. 1 Timothy 4 says you can get to the point where your conscience is seared as with an iron. Couple that with the verses in Romans 1 I talked about earlier where God essentially says, you, you, you want to keep on? I've given you loving, benevolent laws. I've called to you. I've given you these boundaries that are because I love you, because I know what's best, because you um, are, are precious to me, right? But if, if, if you keep on and you just keep running and you just keep pushing, the passive wrath of God, what that looks like is that he does this. And he lets you go. And, and the, real, the scariest verses in the Bible to me are not Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not other places where God comes in and active wrath, you know, makes it clear, we should knock off what we're doing, right? The scariest verses in the Bible to me are ones like this. First Timothy 4 tells me, if I just keep ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I can get to the point where my conscience is seared as with an iron. Same way that little girl can bite through her tongue and not even feel it. You can get that way with conviction. You can get that way spiritually. And so, yeah, I know people would tell me, yeah, I've had, a, I've had a bunch of, you know, outside of God's boundaries sexual experiences, and I couldn't list a tangible consequence for you. I suppose maybe you haven't felt the pain. Maybe you haven't yet realized how much damage and destruction has happened on the inside of you. Don't be glib about that. Don't be happy about it. I'm telling you, here's what the truth of the scripture says. Anytime something as sacred as sex is taken outside of the boundaries that God established for it, it's going to lead to pain and destruction. That's the truth about it. And so if you can't point to that pain and destruction, what does that mean? Does that mean God's wrong? Does that mean the Bible missed it on this one? Or does that mean maybe you've gotten to the point where your sensitivities have been dulled? Scary stuff. So it's a matter for prayer uh, and not to be taken lightly. Romans 1 says that when you suppress the truth and reject God's loving design, you become foolish and darkened in your heart. There is no good sex outside of covenant marriage because even if something feels good for a moment, if it is damaging and damning, it is not a good thing. Adversely, the way God designs sex, if it is within the safety and security of covenant, it can bring pleasure, comfort, closeness, children, and beauty. And this brings us to our third truth. Good sex is rooted in love. 
Now, if, if you were in 1 Corinthians, we read uh, verses 12 through 20. Those are the last verses of chapter 6. If you want to pick back up with me, uh, I'm going to read some of chapter 7, just uh, verses 3 through 5 right now. So for some of you, I'm sure that's right on the same page. So I'm in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. I'm going to read this to you. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and to come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. These verses <clears throat> need to be viewed and understood through the lens of the rest of the scriptures. Our call as Christians, here's, you can kind of make, boil this down to a key point. Our call as Christians to love and serve each other sacrificially doesn't fall off at the bedroom door. Although I think sometimes we act like it does. These verses here, this command that the husband uh, needs to essentially yield his body to his wife and vice versa, it only works, these verses only work if Ephesians 5 is in view and obeyed. I think that's some of the clearest uh, instruction we have for those who are married and how to relate to each other. Here's what it's, in order for verses 3 through 5 to be followed, right, and here's the problem sometimes with verses 3 through 5, and here's the problem sometimes with how people use the verses in the Bible in general, but these in particular, they like to lift a set of verses that backs a certain premise and then use that as a club to beat people. And so there's been many um, I, I mean, it's stereotypical, but a lot of times there's been men throughout church history who have taken these verses and used them to essentially club their wives over the head like a caveman uh, and act like, you know, that they just, they just need to yield to this and, and whatever else. And, and these verses are here and they do say what they say, but there's more Bible. And here's what Ephesians 5 talks about. Ephesians 5 says, Absolutely, yes, that um, wives should respect their husbands. Yep, that's in there. Amen, hallelujah. But here's where it gets real fun. Then it, then it flips to the husbands. It says, husbands, you need to love your wives the way Christ loves the church. And so all of a sudden, see, when you, when you view, if you just take these verses and, and, and try to make them a life verse, but you don't understand what Ephesians 5 calls you to, it could get you to take this out of context and do really unloving stuff with it. And, and here's the premise. Good, fulfilling, joyful, God-glorifying sexual relations within the covenant of marriage are rooted in the principles of love. Okay? What does love look like? Is it demanding? There's this set of verses, I've heard them before, it says something like, love is... Kind, love is, what is it? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, isn't there? Love is kind and it's patient. It's not arrogant, it doesn't boast. It doesn't seek its own. Right? So I can't run in here to 1 Corinthians 7 and start whipping people with that when I forgot about Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 13 and all the rest of the other places. 1 Peter 4, where we're told above all else, Keep fervent in love one for the other. That includes your spouse. And so these verses have to be viewed through the lens of covenantal love and dealt with in that way. This does not give you license to be harsh or impatient or out of character or out of love 
in any way whatsoever, ever. Okay? Who's happy and mad about that? Let's do a poll. It doesn't matter. It's the Bible. I got you. Amen. So if Ephesians 5 is in view, what does that tell us? Well, it's, that, that means if, if, if husbands and wives are loving each other with, with sacrificial, gospel-informed, selfless love, right? Then, then, then this, that's, that's where this can become beautiful because when the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband, see, that becomes, that becomes a beautiful thing. That doesn't become this quid pro quo, you know, uh, this doesn't become this, this business-like arrangement in this, well, and, and, and these questions of, well, who's going who's gonna to go first? Who's going to serve who first? No, 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 no. No, we already got the answer to that. Jesus went first, right? So husbands, if you're going to love your wife like Christ loved the church, what's that going to mean for you? You're going to wait around for her, to, for her to obey the verses before you do the right thing? No, you're going to love her and you're going to treat her with the selfless, beautiful love that Christ treated you with. You're going to lay down your life for her every day. You're going to prefer her above yourself. You're going to be patient with her. You're going to be gentle with her. I'm going to tell you what, if you do that, these verses will get easier for her to obey. Now, I realize I'm sticking to some stereotypical gender distinctions here as far as which way this goes, but I think Paul's really smart and led by the Spirit. That's why he doesn't just say instructions to one side, but he repeats them for everybody. Husbands, take care of your wives. Wives, take care of your husbands, because I realize it doesn't always follow those stereotypical lines. So everything I just said as far as being patient, loving, understanding, uh, letting love guide these principles and be in the mix on this thing, it applies either way as far as uh, the genders are concerned inside of the marriage, okay? But what does this tell us? That, that means that um, we're not going to be demanding, we're going to be patient and considerate with difficult circumstances, right? We need to understand sometimes uh, this... You know, these verses, these verses in, in 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about, you know, the husband needs to fulfill, fulfill his duty to the wife and also the wife to her husband. This is talking about, th this is a, a normative pattern and way to think. He's not dealing with every possible caveat and, and circumstance. And that's why love and, and selfless service and treating each other the way Christ has treated us causes us to be patient, taking into consideration that there might be situations, there might be um, there might be sickness, there might be trauma, there might be all kinds of issues that would cause one or the other side of this thing to need to be patient and loving and, and to pursue gently that person the way Jesus has, has gently and lovingly pursued us. And so um, don't use 1 Corinthians 7, you know, these first few verses here, 3 through 5, as a battering ram. Don't do it. That's sinful. It's got to be viewed through the prism and through the grid of God's love and what that teaches us and the fact that Ephesians 5 calls us to love each other, especially in, in particular. I mean, we're called to love our enemies, right? I mean, so surely we can love our spouses in this way. And so um, God is glorified when we do that. God is glorified when we do that. It's beautiful that... Um, when we are taught about marriage in Ephesians 5, that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, ties that thing so directly to what Jesus has done with us. I mean, that, not only is it so practically informative for me, and it just brings me back to a place, every single time I'm tempted to be a doofus to Natalie, 
I, I can't get away with it for very long because the Holy Ghost is going to bring to my remembrance Ephesians 5. And I'm going to have to deal with the fact that a wretched rapscallion like me found grace and forgiveness through the precious blood of Christ. And I have zero right to hold unforgiveness, bitterness, or any kind of thing against her. It's, it's just it's so beautiful when it comes to its, its corrective power. But also it points us to the gospel. I think it's beautiful practically that, that we're, we're brought back to that place of understanding that our call to love our spouse is, is we let Jesus be that high bar, right? We, it, and when you set it that high, we're going to pursue that by God's grace forever. I, I, I realize I will not ever reach the bar of loving Natalie with the same kind of perfect, pure, selfless, sacrificial love that Jesus loved me, but I should never, ever stop fighting and clawing and going after that by God's grace. And so that means, that's, that's part of how, you know, people, people get, um, <laughs> people are picking up the magazines because it says things like spice up your this and, you know, excitement in that and, and whatever else. Let me, let me give you a little tip from, from um, an ancient manuscript that stands true today. You pursue each other the way Christ has pursued us. You let the love of God be that guide that causes you to constantly and always you don't, you don't ever get to settle down, right, as far as pursuing them because are you loving your spouse as good and perfectly and wonderfully as Jesus has loved you yet? Are you there yet? Nope. So what does that mean? That means we get to keep pushing. That means we don't ever settle into just wherever we're at. We don't get bored with it, right? We keep chasing after them. We keep loving them. We keep thinking of new and creative ways by God's grace to bless them and show them and let them know that they're special to us. And, and you want to talk about spice, man, that's, that's some cayenne pepper in the chili right there, okay? You know what I'm talking about? That'll help. Amen. You guys don't like cayenne pepper? I don't, what, what's the problem? <laughs> the, beauty, the beauty of that, all of it is fueled by, that, that Ephesians 5 discourse, it's, it's, it's really just fueled by the beauty of the gospel. And, and what is it we see there? We see, we see wretched, imperfect, sinful people that don't deserve it. We see them extended mercy and grace. We see people that were separated. That's us, guys. Separated from the God who made us and loved us because of our decision that we could do better than, than the path he had laid out for us. And yet he loves us so much. And his grace and his, and his passion for us is so great that he decides to fix the problem we created. He sends Jesus to come live a perfect, absolutely perfect life and then die in our place for our sins. What love. And not only does he die in our place for our sins, but he rises from the grave three days later, declaring victory. Marital relations. This, this might seem like a weird stretch, but I'm just going to ask you to go from here and pray on this. Fulfilling Sexual relations inside of the covenant of marriage is informed by the truth of the gospel. The more you think on the gospel, the more wounds from past sexual issues will be healed. And the more you stay close to the gospel, the more you will grow in intimacy and love for one another. The gospel informs these things. It absolutely does. It touches every part of our life. Uh, there is no exception. Um, I want to call our attention as we come to a close here, uh, to verse 20. Just want to look at it again. Here's what it says. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. 
I want to call our attention to the fact that in, in the context of these verses, it could be easy to focus on just one element, and that's glorifying God with our body um, by refusing to sin sexually. And that is much of the context here. But you can see this in Paul's flow of thought. You know, we put chapters and verses in here. For Paul, this was one letter he was writing to these, this church that he loved. Right? And so he's writing this, and he says, You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So along through and in this same flow of thought, he's thinking through these things, and he's writing these instructions by the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's my premise to you, and here's what I'm saying. We should glorify God with our body. Not just by refusing to sin sexually outside of marriage, but by having love-motivated and selfless sex inside of marriage. I'll say it again because you agreed so much. <laughs> Glorifying God with our body should not just be by refusing to sin sexually outside of marriage. I think that's most of the time how we think about it. I believe the scriptures would push us to believe this truth. That if we have love-motivated, selfless sex inside of marriage, that also can bring glory to God. Now, verse 20 says, For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Praise God. I'm going to give you a quote from John Piper along this line. He says this, Jesus' teaching in general implies that a happy and fulfilling sexual relations and marriage depend on each partner aiming to give satisfaction to the other. See the gospel in that? That's selfless. That's not, I'm coming to this thing looking to get what I can get. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come to earth focused on what he could get from us? I want you to understand, this is not a stretch, man, to tie these things to the beauty of the good news of the gospel. Jesus' teaching in general implies that happy and fulfilling sexual relations in marriage depend on each partner aiming to give satisfaction to the other. If it is the joy of each to make the other happy, a hundred problems will be solved before they happen. I agree with Pastor Piper on that one. Amen. I think we need to keep in mind that the enemy of our souls, guys, that ancient serpent, the tempter that was there in Eden, he wants to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of the marriage bed, and he wants to do everything he can to discourage sex inside the marriage bed. And we need to recognize this strategy and not give it a foothold among us. Again, Absolutely. Ephesians 5 in view, the rest of what God teaches us about what it looks like to love each other and, and, and that Christ's love is and, and, and his sacrifice on the cross is, is the way we define love and how that works. That, that's going to make us considerate and patient. It's going to make us... Just because we understand that the enemy uh, would, would try to put wedges into marriages um, by interrupting what can be a beautiful part of connecting through sexuality doesn't mean we're going to then do what the culture does and make it this overemphasis thing. That's not the only way. It is a way, right? That part, of, part of what Paul's saying here in, in 1 Corinthians 7 is, don't deprive each other as you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This might be weird for you to think, but loving, selfless, sacrificial, gospel-shaped sexual relations within a marriage actually kick the devil in the teeth. 
don't know if you like that or don't like that, but it's true. And that's part of what Paul's saying here. And so we need to see that God is glorified when these things happen in a, in a healthy way and in a loving way, but we also need to not let those truths make us then overemphasize it. Because sometimes what you need to do is read 1 Corinthians 7 and say, um, love demands of me in this moment to, to be patient and loving with a spouse that's struggling for whatever the various reasons are, and in that way glorify God. Yeah, but I have needs. Guess what? So do they. So here's how beautiful marriages that glorify God, whether we're talking about sex in particular or really the whole deal. Here, here's, here's, how, here's how Christian marriage glorifies God. When you, O oh husband, make your primary concern the good and the needs of your wife. And when you, O oh wife, make your primary concern the good and the needs of your husband. Here's what's beautiful. Somebody's looking out for everybody's needs, aren't they? God is glorified in that. Because that reflects to the world the kind of selfless, beautiful, and perfect love that Jesus came and displayed perfectly through his life, death, and resurrection. We can be a holy reflection in all of these things of the goodness of God. And I talked to you about this last week. You know, when it comes to happy, joyous, fulfilling, God-honoring sexual relationships inside of marriage, this is not one where there's a ton of opportunity to reflect so much to the world, right? Um, you know, <laughs> There's not a whole, for us to be a holy reflection to the world when it comes to sex and sexuality, you know, we may have people in a close circle of friends, we discuss these things, we're accountable to each other, we're praying for each other, we're praying through things together. That's, of course, um, healthy and helpful. Um, but man, this is one of those ways where we can really be a holy reflection of the goodness, love, and beauty of God to one another as our spouse, right? I told you last week, I don't, I'm not just concerned as we think through these things in this series that we only are a, a reflection Right, because that's what verse 20 says, right? You've been bought with a price, so honor God, glorify God with your body. We gotta think that way, right? And so we do have that opportunity in a bunch of different ways. But this is this specifically what we're discussing tonight is one of the ways that we can be a constant reflection. Think about the beauty of this to our spouse of the goodness and selfless love of God. I want to be an encouragement to my spouse. I don't want I don't want to be a hindrance to her serving God. In as many ways as possible, I want her to be encouraged towards Jesus by the way I treat her in regards to these things and all kinds of things. I believe that's the call of God for every married person. I think we, sh I think we should think that way. To God's glory and for our good. Amen. May we be a people who view sex and sexuality the same way our creator does. May we be a people who see sex through the sacred lens of scripture. And may we be a people who understand that sex is a wedding gift from God. And may we glorify our king as holy reflections of his covenantal love by rejecting sin and embracing selfless sacrifice when it comes to these things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that its wisdom is timeless and far exceeds that of magazines, articles, blogs, and any other source of information. I thank you that your perfect Holy Spirit was involved in the writing of the scriptures. Help us, God. Help us, Lord, to believe these things. There is, there is loud and vibrant counter-messages being screamed at us every day 
uh, from all different directions. So God, please help us to keep our eyes fixed upon your word. Keep our hearts, God, uh, full of the light of the truth of your gospel and let that inform us in the way we approach issues of sex and sexuality. Um, God, I ask that we would be fully convinced as a people that there is absolutely no opportunity for good sex outside of covenant marriage, that it is always going to be broken and it is always going to lead to pain and to suffering, that there is no exception or exclusion when it comes to that. Um, God, I pray for those that perhaps have reached that place of, of a deadness and a numbness um, where their, their conscience may have been seared as with an iron, where they're able to participate in those types of things and not feel the sting of conviction, not feel the, the pain uh, that comes along with making deep emotional, spiritual connections with another person uh, outside of the safe boundaries that you've established, God. May we please un uh, understand, God, by your grace and see uh, that this wedding gift you've created for us um, that it is, it is not just a physical act, that there is, there is something more, that it's deep. You've used this language of two becoming one flesh. From Genesis to Revelation, you've repeated it over and over again. You want us to understand that it is, it is not simply uh, biological, but there's so much more going on. It's spiritual and it's emotional. And um, may we regard it with the sanctity and sacredness that it deserves. Help us, God, to model that in the way we live. Help us to speak boldly about it. Uh, and I just pray, God, for those who, who may have become numb in that area. And I just ask, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would come and that you would, you would break whatever uh, walls have been built around their heart, whatever callus has built up. I ask that you come and remove that, God. By your grace, may they feel pain. Father, I, I feel like that mama that says she would give anything for her child to feel pain because she needs to feel that to know that she's, she could destroy herself. I feel that way for, for those that they are to the point where they don't even feel the conviction, to the point where they've convinced themselves that what is evil is good, and they applaud, they do it, and they applaud those that do it. God, I just ask that you would come and you would shake that, you would change that by the power of your spirit. I thank you, you can we trust you for that. I ask God that uh, you would just continue to help us and grow us, Lord. Even though we've spent eight weeks in these things, I know that we've only scratched the surface of the truth and the goodness that your word would teach us in, in regards to these things. So please, Lord, continue to grow us, continue to grow our understanding, continue by your grace to teach us. And uh, God, show us how it is we can be holy reflections, that we can be mirrors reflecting your glory to the world uh, in regards to all of the issues that we've been discussing. These things are hard, Lord. They're, our enemy has really worked hard to pervert these things and take this good thing that you've given us and turn it into a destructive thing. And, and, and it seems like the enemy is deeply entrenched in this area, and it seems like it's real hard to, to even find a, a firm footing to fight against it. But I know we sang at the beginning of this service songs that remind us that even though sin is strong, you, King Jesus, are stronger. And so we stand upon that word and we stand upon your truth and we ask that you would empower us to go from here by grace to fight the good fight and not grow weary, that you may be glorified in us because you're worthy of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies. 
or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.